Well, how are we doing, everybody? My name is Jeremy, and I have the incredible honor of serving as the lead pastor here at Metro and at both of our campuses. I cannot tell you how delighted I am uh, that you have chosen to be with us this weekend. I am so excited because we are in the middle of a series we call Old School. Now, Old School is an older series that we've done. It's been around for a long time. It's, uh, it's a series through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Many years ago, we started in the book of Genesis and just sort of been trying to figure out who God is and the character of God, the nature of God, what his story has been and how we fit into his story. We started in the book of Genesis and have just been tackling a book or two or three each and every year and just moving forward. So I think we're on like part 82 or something like that today. And uh, are you good with that? 82? That's not bad. And so... Uh, uh, and here's the thing, when, when we talk about this idea of studying the Old Testament part of the Bible, people go, oh my goodness, I came to church at the wrong day. This sounds horrible. This sounds boring. Let me tell you something, friends. Listen to me. Both of our campuses, listen, listen, listen. If you have an open heart, I, I promise you this will be far from boring. You are going to find that it is far more relevant than you ever thought possible. Something written thousands and thousands of years ago you're going to find speaks to your heart today as if it was written for you. So you open to this? I hope so. I really do. So we're in the middle of our study of the character in the Bible named Jeremiah. He is uh, a very significant character. He is, uh, he's one of the main kind of a players out there in, in, in the story of, of the scriptures. And, and he has a whole book written after his name or titled after his name. It's called the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has a unique job. He is called to be a prophet. He is the voice box of God to the people of Israel and to the world around them. And his job is essentially, his message is essentially to speak for God. And the message is pretty straightforward. Over and over, he basically tells the people of Israel, you're screwing it up. And if you don't knock it off, it will not end well for you. Now, that message, let's just be honest, could be for any number of us in this room, right? You ever feel that way? You're just kind of screwing it up, and if you don't knock it off sooner than later, it will not end well for you? Well, I think that is the truth for a whole bunch of us. And uh, we're going to learn some things from Jeremiah. And one of the things that we learned from Jeremiah is that he had uh, not just a hard day, sort of a hard time in life, a hard or difficult day, sort of a difficult time in life. He had a difficult life. And there's a difference between a difficult day and a difficult life. You with me? It's like every day is a mountain for him to climb. Every day is a fight. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but you go, when is this going to end? When is this struggle going to change? Because it just seems like every day is, is a fight. And so uh, I think we have a whole bunch to learn from this Jeremiah character. So y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Come on. And uh, thank you for all the enthusiasm. That's just <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and so what I would like to do is I want to start by reading one of the most uh, landmark, historic books in uh, human literature. Uh, this is a volume of work that should be read by everybody. And it is uh, a, a work that my family is intimately familiar with. We have read it many, many times over. And it is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And so I would like to attempt to read parts of this great piece of literature to you. You ready? Here is how it begins. 
I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in, a, in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick, Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got by the, uh, by the window too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I think I am going to be car sick. And no one even answered. I could tell that this was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and for fighting. I was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And I told everybody, but no one even answered me. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Right? Great piece of human literature. And so true, right? Let, let me ask you, when's the last time you had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Anybody ever have a day like that? Anybody? Uh, but let's just take it up a notch or two. What if I was to ask you, have you gone through a season of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days where you just think that you're pushed as far as you can be pushed? that you're stretched as far as you can be stretched, where you've experienced all that you can experience and you're at the, the breaking point. You're at the edge. Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah. You know, we, we could call this uh, Jeremiah part seven, the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day of Jeremiah. But really, I've just entitled this message, Jeremiah part seven, the breaking point. Be because a whole bunch of us have experienced this thing called the breaking point, or maybe you're right there. And so we're going to camp out uh, on chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you to find it, that chapter in your, in your, in your own Bible. And, and listen, I get it. People go to me all the time, like, wait, you put it up on the screen. I don't have to do that. No, no, no. Listen, I want you to find it for yourself so that you can engage the Bible for yourself. So that, yeah, absolutely, you need it taught to you, and we do need to do that, but it's very important that you learn to open it and find things on your own so that you can study during the week and take your next steps with God in that way. Y'all with me on that? Both of our campuses, you with me? So find Jeremiah 19. Come on, you have a smartphone. Google Jeremiah 19. It's like magic. 
boom, comes right up. It's amazing, okay? Jeremiah 19. Uh, and as we begin to look at this, you remember that the last time we talked about Jeremiah, Jeremiah was facing a fork in the road. Remember this? He was trying to decide whether he was going to even continue with faith. Was he going to go one way or the other when it comes to his relationship with God? But this is different. Now he's, he's not struggling with this idea of faith. He is literally at the edge. He is literally at this point of breaking. And this is a low point in Jeremiah's life. This is a low point in his ministry. This is a low point in his call. And this is a low point for the people of Israel. There is a line that Jeremiah utters at one point where he says, the city of Jerusalem, it goes something like this, the city of Jerusalem flows with innocent blood. And he looks at this and he says, those that are weak among us, they're not safe. The widows and the orphans, how can we let this happen? But they're not safe. He, he says women are being objectified and abused. They're, they're not safe. And, and he says uh, that, that we have as a nation, the, the, we are supposed to be this people of God. We're this covenant relationship with God. But we're not with God at all. We're running after all kinds of other gods. We're even bowing down to other gods. And we're taking the God's rightful place in the center of our life, at the top place in our life, and we're moving them out of the way. And, and he even says, at, at one point, he points out the obvious. You want to know how low we've gotten? We're even sacrificing our own children to pagan gods, to gods that are no God at all. And God sees this. He sees that Israel is at the lowest point and, and he's simply tired of it. He, he wants it to change. And so you may remember, some of you who have studied the Bible, you may remember that God has called many priests and many prophets to, to speak to Israel, to, to warn Israel. But Israel has not turned and now it's Jeremiah is the man. And he is called to carry this message. And Jeremiah, we learn, is, is faithful. He he didn't want it, he didn't ask for it, but he steps up to it and he decides that he is going to follow God with the very best that he can. But the problem is, is that he hasn't had much success. As a matter of fact, he hasn't had any success. Uh, and this is now uh, a couple of decades almost into his life and ministry. And his heart is broken. He's worn out, he's tired, he's frustrated, and he's at this point where, where it is literally a breaking point for him. And like some of us in this room, come on, when you have a breaking point, you have a total meltdown. And we're going to see that the prophet, the great prophet, Jeremiah, has a total meltdown. And, and what I want to do today is just two very simple things. Uh, number one is I want to walk through Jeremiah's meltdown. I just want us to know what happens so we, we understand the Bible a little bit better. I just want us to see what, what happens. But more important than that, I want us to see how Jeremiah reacts during this meltdown. Because I think some of us are going to be very surprised. Where there is this character, this very important character in the Bible. Is at the spiritual breaking point in his life. And uh, he becomes brutally honest and raw and transparent. And I just think that we have much to learn from this. And you know where breaking points come from, right? Um, Every one of us has a breaking point. And breaking points start when you're staring at a stack of bills. And you're looking at your life and you're going, I don't, I don't know how these ends are going to meet. And for you, it's one financial mountain after another financial mountain after another financial mountain. And you can't even remember a time in your life where it was easy. 
and your, your back's against the wall and you're like, I don't know how much more I can take. Break, breaking points are when you get a call from your brother and you have to drive across town or across the state or across the country to bail him out yet again because he can't seem to get his life together. It's doing nothing but destroying your life and you're just wondering how much more of a crazy family can you take? Anybody with me? Yeah. These, these breaking points occur when you're, when you're sitting at the hospital and you're waiting for another round of tests and they, the first round and the second round of tests couldn't figure out anything but you know that your body is breaking down inside where you know that there is something wrong but nobody seems to help and nobody can seem to figure it out. And there's a breaking point in that. A breaking point is when you think that finally things are going to change and this relationship might just work out because you have been alone all of your life and you can't take it anymore and you're looking for something and your hopes are kind of up and you're thinking this might just work. But then you start to see it dissolve right in front of you. And you go back to the drawing board and you say, I don't know, God, if I can take any more of this. I don't know if I can be alone yet again. You, you see, breaking points come when you're broken and when you're broke and when your heart is sinking and your emotions are sinking, your health is sinking, your finances are sinking and relationships are sinking and you just don't know what else you can do. Friends, I, I know that as we enter our time together today, dozens and dozens of you have come into these doors and you're right there. Uh, you're at this edge where if something doesn't give, if something doesn't change, you're going to break. Or maybe you've just come through a season like that. Or maybe you can see that season coming at you. But friends, I'm telling you something. It's coming. There will be a time in your life where you're at that edge, where you're at that breaking point, like Jeremiah. And friends, I want you to look at me. At both campuses, look at me. I'm telling you something. I, I, I hope that when, by the time that you leave here today, when you leave here today, that you will be encouraged to know that you are not alone. That every one of us goes through this in life. And it's not just us. If you were to scan the pages of scripture, you'll see that some of the greatest men and women who followed God, who are men and women of faith, you, you'll see that almost to a T, every single one of them had to go through deep and dark times in their life. Periods of utter despair in their life. Breaking points in their life where they did not think that they could take another step. Friends, my hope is today that you'll walk out of here with just a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So you with me, friends, so far? Y'all with me? So here's what we're gonna do. Let's dive in this together because I think we're gonna learn from Jeremiah's words that God whispers, I understand. And I'm with you in this. You are not alone. Jeremiah chapter 19, verse one, it says this. This is what the Lord God says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Go and buy what? A clay job from Home Depot. Uh, some of you were here for the early part of this series and you'll remember that God one time tells Jeremiah to go buy a belt into the marketplace and go buy a belt. He does that. One time he's told to go visit a church uh, and now he's told to go to Home Depot and buy a clay pot, right? And, and so you just know that every time God has one of these ideas for Jeremiah, something interesting is about to come 
Jeremiah's way. And uh, so it goes on to say this, verse uh, two, it says, take, or the end of verse one, it says, take along some of the elders and the people and, and of the priests, and, and of, of the priests, some of some of the important people of, of, of the community, some of the leaders of the community. He says, and go to the valley of Ben Hinnom, near the entrance of Potsherd Gate. There, proclaim the word I am about to tell you. So, what's the job of a prophet? Their job is to hear from God. Remember this, and to go where God tells them to go, and to do what God tells them to, and to say what God tells them to say. So this is his job. And so God says to him, um, here's what I want you to do. Go buy some pots. Not pot. That's a whole different deal. Okay. Totally different deal. But he says, go buy some clay pots. Get some of the important people, some of the religious leaders, some of the political leaders, some of the elders among the people, get, get the important people. And you're going to go take them somewhere. And so Jeremiah is literally told by God to take them to a different geographical location. And I want to show you this a little bit. This is an artist's rendition of the city of Jerusalem uh, around 600 BC. And he is told to take them out of the city walls, outside of the gates. And if you see the city walls there, there are these gates that kind of every once in a while in the wall, there's a break in the wall, a city gate in the wall. And he says, go find a certain gate. And that gate is going to lead to a certain valley. And that valley is Ben-Hinnom. Remember this? Is that, does that name ring a bell to anybody? Because this isn't just any valley that God is leading Jeremiah to. No, 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 no. He is specifically told to go to the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And what's interesting is if you are looking at this picture, it is actually this lower left-hand portion of your screen there. Uh, it is the physical lowest point surrounding the land of Jeremiah. It's a valley floor. And then on both sides of, the, uh, of it, it goes up. And on one side, Jerusalem eventually appears. But on the other side of the valley, it's wilderness. And there are small towns and scattered uh, throughout that area. And what's interesting is that in this place, we learn that the people of Israel have hit a new low. They are building places of worship to idols. Scattered throughout the countryside are these, what they call high places of worship. And, and if you remember that Ben-Hinnom was the very place where the people of Israel were leaving the city gates and taking their own children. Think about this. And sacrificing them to the gods because somehow they wanted to buy favor with the gods who were no gods at all. And, and so not only does this place where Jeremiah is told to go, not only does it represent a low physical geographical place, but it represents a spiritual low for the people of Israel. This is the place where the heart of evil is residing. And God is tired of it. And so God tells Jeremiah to, to grab a clay pot at the potter's place. And he says, I want you to go grab some of the leaders and I'm going to tell you what to say. And when you listen to what he says, it's the same message he's been saying over and over. He says, because of your arrogance, because of your self-righteousness, because of your sin, because of your sexual depravity, because of your violence, because of the way that you're treating one another, he says, I'm warning you, if you don't turn if you don't change, it will not end well for us. It will not end well for you. He, he says war is coming to this place. Now remember, they're sitting outside the walls. He says war is going to come. 
And there's this great army from the north, the Babylonians. They're going to come and they're going to siege our land. They're, the armies are going to fill this wall. They're going to, they're going to scatter around this wall and they're going, to, they're going to literally set starvation into place within the walls. He says, everybody in the walls are going to starve. He says, everybody inside these walls, they're eventually going to get disease. And then eventually they're going to knock down these walls and they're going to come and destroy us. And then he takes this clay pot before the elders and says, be warned, because this is what God thinks. He says, if you are not careful, you're going to be like this pot that is broken and scattered. And he says, no matter how much you want to put it together, how much you want to pay somebody to go down and glue all these pieces together, you're not gluing them back together. Pause for a second. Did you know that in your life and in my life, we can live in such a way where we're making one poor decision after another poor decision after another poor decision that one day we wake up and we're going to look at our life and we're going to wonder, what did I do? We're going to look at all of the brokenness all the way around us financially, relationally, our health, and we're not going to be able to put it all back together again. And here's the good news. God will forgive. And God will restore our soul. But you have to understand that there is some things that you can never put back together again if you're not careful. And so Jeremiah warns the people. And think about this. this remember who Jeremiah is. And Jerusalem was Jeremiah's capital. Uh, he lives in a town called Antithoth. And it's literally three miles north of the city. It's a little tiny village. And so when he speaks of war coming, he understands that what this means. This, these are his friends. These are his people. These are, this is his family. And when war comes, it's going to come right through his little tiny village. And it is going to ruin all of them. And so this is literally heartbreaking to Jeremiah. But when you think about this, um, this doesn't sound like the best scenario. I mean, nobody wants to go gather up all the leaders and telling them they're screwing up, right? I mean, there's a lot of pressure in that, but it's not a, if we're honest, it's not a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's not the best day, but it's not the worst day either. Am I right? But this is just the beginning of his day. Things go downhill from here very quickly. And so he's out there outside of the walls and God speaks to him. Again, what is a prophet's job? Come on, it is to hear from God. By the way, that's our job too, right? To be careful to listen to his voice. And so Jeremiah is out there with all the leaders and God speaks to him in a whisper again. And he actually tells Jeremiah to change physical geographical locations. And he says, I want you now to go into the temple. And I want you to take a look at this. This is an artist's rendition of the temple of Solomon. Solomon built this temple about three or 400 years before Jeremiah. And this place is the rock. This place is the fortress. This place is their refuge. As long as the temple's still standing, the people of, of Israel have somewhere to fight from. The people of Israel have somewhere to find refuge because this place is impenetrable. This is the place of God, right? And, and we're God's people and God's gonna protect us. But Jeremiah hears the voice of God again and says, I want you to leave the valley of Ben-Hinnom and I want you to go into the temple place. And what's in the temple? 
the temple is filled with everyday people. It's like a marketplace. It's a church. It's a gathering place. It's, the place is flooded with everyday men and women, just like you and me, and they're there. And he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to speak the same message. But I want you to tell them something a little bit different this time. That they're putting all their trust and their confidence and their religiosity of going to the temple, that as long as this temple is good, that they're good. And I want you to tell them the same message. That if you don't knock it off, it will not end well. And he goes, war is coming. And not only are they going to surround this place, but one day they're going to knock this place down. And the temple is going to be destroyed. And you are going to be destroyed with it. And so, you, you, you listen to this and you go, okay, it's, that's got to be a tough job. And people are ignoring them. And people are mocking them. And people aren't listening to them. But he is like the guy on the corner with the bullhorn that all of us would, would just shut up, right? And he just keeps going with the bullhorn. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you think, well, good for him. It's freedom of speech. He can do what he wants to each his own. But no, 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 no. Uh, this, there is no freedom of speech involved with any of this. You see, because when the high priest uh, hears of this, he kind of reaches the end. He's like, I am sick of this wet blanket called Jeremiah. I am sick of this negative Nelly. I'm sick of everything that this man stands for. And when you're the man in charge of it all, you don't put up with that anymore, right? And so eventually this high priest named Pashur is going to make an example out of Jeremiah. So verse 20, it says that when... Uh, the priest, Pashur, son of Emir, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying and teaching these things. He had Jeremiah the prophet, what? Beaten and put into stocks. Not in some back room. He didn't have him arrested and taken out back somewhere. No, no, no. He made a very public spectacle. He put him at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Front and center, public humiliation across the board on display. And this is a turning point. This becomes the turning point into a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, he's arrested. He is beaten. And under Jewish law, this is typically what they would do. This was, uh, this predated whips, like the leather rip whips that Rome would use. And so typically speaking, it was prescribed under Jewish law that if a man was to be punished through a beating, they would be stripped, humiliated, they would be put over a stump, tied to that stump, and then they would take a club. And they would beat him and beat him until he was a bloody mess. And they would beat him until welts appeared and flesh was whipped open. And, and their ribs would be cracked. And oftentimes their spine bones would be fractured. They were beaten. And then it says the beating wasn't enough. And so what they, would do, what they did with Jeremiah, he says, not only do I want to beat him, but I want to make a spectacle of him. I want to mock him. And so he has him arrested and put in stockades. And I'm not exactly sure what the stockades looked like back then, but most historians tell us that it was a methodology of binding the feet, the hands, and the head all at the same time. And so you were kind of positioned like this, sort of standing, sort of being pulled down, 
in stockades. And it says that they put them right at Benjamin's Gate, which is one of the most popular entrances to the temple area, right near the marketplace. And they don't just keep them there for the afternoon, like, hey, you got your meeting, you can go home for dinner now. No, friends. It says they kept them there, kept Jeremiah there all night long. People are leaving the market, and they're going, that's Jeremiah, I'm so sick of him. And they would spit on him. And they would mock him and laugh at him. And they would, they left the market, and eventually the place clears. And you would think somebody would come around midnight to take them back, but they don't. They leave them in stockades all night long, 2 o'clock, then 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock at night. This was no comfort in experience, right? He wasn't getting any sleep. He's bruised and bloodied and beaten. And he says, hang in there. The very next morning, it says that Parshur comes and releases him. And you would think, and I bet you this high priest was thinking that when I release him, he'll finally get the message. And he'll finally keep it quiet. And he'll just go along to get along. But you got to love Jeremiah, don't you? <laughs> this man um, who hears this call from God, he looks at this high priest and he says, you have no idea what you're messing with. It is not me, you're messing with God. You think you control all these people? You think you control all the wealth of the temple? You, you sit up there so high and mighty. He goes, God is gonna change your name from Pashur to terror because the people of Israel will be terrorized under your reign. You're going to see the destruction of the temple with your own eyes. You're going to see your people lost and humiliated and broken and beat to death and killed under the sword of Babylon. And you've got to love Jeremiah's tenacity, right? I mean, he's sitting there hanging there and it's like, are you going to act right now? He's like, no, 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 no. Because I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And you better turn. Or it will not end well for you. You got to love this guy, right? And so that's what happens. And I think we could categorize that as a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Which is the end, or which is really the culmination of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life up to this point. And so what we see next in the scripture is very, very interesting. I, wanna, I want you to know what happened but I want you to know how, how Jeremiah reacts to it. What goes on in his heart. Because friends, listen, all of us are going to have a point in life where we come to the edge, where we come and it's ready to break. And we can learn something from Jeremiah. And what Jeremiah does is, this isn't like a story that was written down in sequential order. Jeremiah obviously goes back, at some point writes into his diary what he was feeling in this moment. He, he writes into his blog, right, what, what I was experiencing in this moment. And let me tell you something. Jeremiah is having an emotional meltdown. He's all over the board. Some of us are like that, right? When we get to that edge, our emotions are all over the board. And we go way up and way down. We get angry. We get frustrated. We feel hopeless. We scream, we yell, we curse, we cuss, and we become somebody that we don't want to become. 
Am I right? This is what happens. And so Jeremiah is having this emotional breakdown, and he's writing about it later. And listen to what he says. This is in chapter 20, verse 7. And you got to love this. This is, he says, verse 7, he says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everybody, what? Mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. He, he's like saying, this is what I get for serving you? This is what I get for sacrificing for you? I give, nobody else gives. I care, nobody else cares. I've repented, nobody else repents. And this is how you repay me, God? I get mockery and insult and reproach all day long. But then his emotions are all over the board. He's yelling at God, but then he says this. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore about his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. So if I say, I'm not even gonna think about God anymore. He's like, I can't say that because because it's like a fire inside of me. Even in the hardest and darkest time, I know God is somewhere in the mix of all of this and it's burning inside me. So he says, I will be like a fire. My heart will be like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can't hold it in. So he's saying, in one breath, God, this is your fault. I'm done with you. I'm out of here. How dare you? And then in the next breath, he's saying, but I'm still with you. You put something in me. Anybody feeling this? Anybody have this in your own life? Where you go, where are you, God? But you know he's near somewhere. You just can't escape his little voice speaking into your life. This is Jeremiah. Verse 10, he says, I hear many whispering, terror on every side, denounce him, Let, let's denounce him. All of my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. And so, Jeremiah, how do you feel about this whole serving God thing? Pretty great, isn't it? Remember, I called you, this is going to be wonderful. You're going to love this. It's going to be awesome. Jeremiah is going, this is not great. This is not awesome. I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. And so how do you feel, Jeremiah? I can tell you how Jeremiah felt. It's right there. He had every feeling going on that we have going on. He felt dumped. He says, I feel dumped. I literally feel dumped. The language he uses in verse 7 is interesting, right? It's, you deceived me. Uh, Lord, you deceived me. It's a seductive sort of a language. Like, you, you led me on. It's like that, you know, guy talking all the sweet talk to the girl and then just disappears. Dumped her. Just led her on. And it led to nowhere, right? And she gives and she gives and she gives. And he uses and he uses and he, and he uses. And this is the language that Jeremiah uses. You deceived me. You let me down. You dumped me. What else does he feel? He says, I feel humiliated. I can't believe this. I'm the mockery. I'm the scorn of everybody. What does he say? He says, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone what? Have you ever been laughed at in life ever? Do you remember that? That is not easy, is it? Well, try everybody mocking you. Try being the lone voice in a world that's growing darker and darker and darker. He says nobody supports him. Nobody is buying his books. Nobody is showing up at his rallies. Nobody is coming to his church. He's not filling any auditoriums. He is utterly alone in this. And Jeremiah, 
You go, well, why don't you just quit, man? Why don't you just back out? Why don't you just quit? Because I can't quit. He feels something. He feels something that many of us have felt. He feels trapped in his situation, doesn't he? He says, he says, I would love to quit, but his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. In other words, I would love to quit, but I can't quit. I know I'm confused. Right now, I don't even know what to think. All I know is I would love to quit. I would love to bail. I would love to get out of here. But all I know is that God keeps calling me to this and I'm trapped. Anything else, Jeremiah? You feeling anything else? He goes, oh yeah. You know what else I feel? I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm alone. I don't know if you caught it in there, but he talks about his friends. His friends say, denounce him. Let's denounce him. All of my friends are waiting for me to slip, to fall, saying perhaps we, uh, he will be deceived and then we will prevail over him and take our reverage, uh, rever uh, revenge on him. In other words, they're saying, we're, we're looking for the moment where his back is turned and we can, we can be done with him. We're looking for the moment where he's in the, he's in the right place at the wrong time. So we can finish this once and for all because we are tired of his nagging voice in our ears. With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Guys he grew up with, guys he went bowling with, right? Guys he thought were his friends are turning on him and really, literally wanting to kill him. And for Jeremiah... I think we conclude that this is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I feel dumped. I feel humiliated. I feel trapped. I feel alone. Has anybody in the room ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? I think most of us, at one point or another in our life, we, we get to this point where we feel that life is simply against us. And that it's not heading where we want it to head, going where we want it to go. But there is something that Jeremiah does here that is incredibly healthy. I mean, we look at this uh, and we go, this guy's the prophet? I think this guy needs a counselor. I mean, he's a mess, right? But we're going to learn something from Jeremiah that, that I think is so incredibly healthy. I don't know who said this once. I wish I could give credit to, to the person who said it, but I heard one time, what, what, what are the marks of an unhealthy, dysfunctional person? And, and this person says this. He says, they don't feel, you don't feel, you don't talk, and you don't trust. You don't feel anything. You just don't care, and you don't care about others, and you don't care about letting others know what you think. You, you, you just don't feel anything. It is a terrible spot in humanity when you don't have compassion toward somebody else. It is a terrible spot where you don't have compassion toward yourself and wanting to move forward in life when you've given up. But people who are unhealthy and dysfunctional, this is a trademark. They, they just feel like giving up because they don't feel anymore. Um, they, they don't talk. They don't want to be open. They don't want to share. They, they become recluse. They draw back. They, they think, I'm okay by myself. And friends, this is a temptation for every single one of us, isn't it? When things aren't moving in the right direction, we think we're going to handle this, we can get through this, and we become bunkered down on our own. We don't trust. We don't trust God. We don't trust other people. During horrible times, we just simply turn inward. We grow silent and we grow numb. And friends, let me tell you something. Growing silent, listen to me, and growing numb 
It is not your friend. Growing silent, growing numb to the difficulties of life, ignoring them, it is not your friend. Some of you will recognize this woman. Her name is um, Benet Brown, and uh, she is uh, a very successful writer. She's wrote some very significant books. Uh, she's given some TED Talks that went viral and are very wildly popular. Uh, what's interesting about uh, Benet Brown is that she claims uh, her job title as a shame researcher. How would you like that for your job title? A shame researcher. Uh, she writes about this issue of personal uh, growth through difficult times. And, you know, she talks about this idea of shame. It's very interesting. She says that um, uh, there's a difference between guilt and shame. She says that guilt is saying, I made a mistake. And shame is saying, I am a mistake. And there's a big difference, right, between guilt and shame. Guilt is saying, I messed up. I made a mistake. But, but shame is saying, I am the mistake. And, and she writes about this idea of numbing ourselves to the pain around us. She, she writes about this idea of closing ourselves off and being uh, uh, too guarded with our life because it will not help us in the long run. Listen to what she writes. I think this is absolutely brilliant. She says, we cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions, right? Friends, in the middle of incredible tragedy or suffering or pain, you will be tempted to, to numb yourself, to, to draw back, to, to not want to engage that pain. This is a human nature. We pull back from pain. Am I right? And how do we do this in our world? How do we do this in modern day America? We drink. We use alcohol, right? We use drugs, sexuality, pornography. You, you know what one of the greatest addictions in America is? It's busyness. We say, because I hurt in this relationship, because things aren't right with my wife, without my husband or my kids or my friends or my parents or whatever it is, we will just become addicted to busyness. We'll keep ourselves running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing so we don't have to deal with real life. And as long as we keep one step ahead of our pain, we won't have to experience our pain. Materialism is another big addiction in America. When we hurt, we go, I'm going shopping. Yeah. We, we, think, we think just one more new thing on the outside of our life, listen to me, is going to fix up the inside of our life. And friends, it doesn't work that way. Am I right? We cannot selectively numb ourselves. You see, the good news is when we numb our pain, the pain is numb. The bad news is that I'm numb to everything else. You see, when you numb yourself to pain, you also numb yourself to gratitude. When you numb yourself to pain, when you're afraid of dealing with real life, when you hold your emotions in, you numb yourself to joy. You numb yourself to happiness and laughter. You, you numb yourself to, to the joys of, of watching the sunrise or the beauty of a sunset. When, when you numb yourself to pain, you also numb yourself at your daughter's wedding. And you never experience the joy of what God has for you in that moment. When you numb yourself to pain, you run the risk of numbing yourself to the joy of holding your grandchild. What it's like to have the touch of another human being. Friends, it's a dangerous thing. The reason I think that this is so important 
It's because there's good news when you numb yourself. You numb yourself to pain. The pain is numb. But you numb yourself to life. And that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Friends, the reason I want to talk about this is because I think every single one of us is going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, not very bad day, but we're going to have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad seasons of life where we think that we are so broken that we don't know what is next and what we can do to take another step. And I just want you to know that God has not forgotten you. He is in the middle of it all. And, and we learned from Jeremiah a, a couple of things that um, Jer Jeremiah, he, he, he turns to God. He, he moves toward God during this. Um, we learned that healthy people need to feel. Healthy people need to talk things through. Healthy people need to trust and trust again. You need to figure out how to do this. And Jeremiah does this. So he's in the middle of this chapter and his emotions are all over. If you read it yourself, you're just going to go, this guy is crazy. He is up and he's down. One minute he is yelling at God. And then the next minute he says this. Listen to this. This is crazy. In the middle of this rant against, against God, he says, but sing to the Lord. <laughs> Give praise to the Lord. Put on the worship band. I'm thinking, what? That's the last thing I want to do when I'm angry at God. Right? But he says, he rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. He knows in the end that he has to trust something. And God is his best option. Friends, eventually, um, you will hit this breaking point. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. And that you, you're not designed to handle it alone. And if we're not careful we'll end up broken, completely broken. Friends, uh, in our church, um, every single week almost, there's somebody in my office, somebody in one of our pastor's offices that is here at this point, and they have to take this step toward healing. I think healthy people feel, they talk through these emotions, and they ultimately choose to trust God. I was with a family just a couple weeks ago that lost their son. I was with another woman this week that was in the middle of a divorce. Tragic. And it's one thing after another thing in our life. And you are not designed to keep it to yourself. If you need a mechanic, you go to, if you have car troubles, you need a mechanic, you go to a mechanic. If you got health issues, you go to a doctor. If you, you know, have AC issues and you need the air conditioning, like I need the air conditioning, you get an HVAC guy, right? Let me tell you something. When it is a very, or when it is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you need somebody else heading in the same direction as you. You need somebody to talk to. Friends, if you're, if you're hurting like this, I, I just cannot encourage you enough. Call the church office. Make an appointment with one of our pastors. This is what we do. And if you don't want to talk to one of us, um, we have life groups. You're going to hear more and more about this because we need people to do life together with. We need this. We need somebody to, to turn to. And ultimately, we need to learn to trust God 
through it all. This is what Jeremiah teaches us. Life can get messy, but it doesn't have to end poorly. We can give it to God. Trust Him. So here's what we're going to do at both campuses. We're going we're gonna to pray this through a little bit. And if you are here um, and you want to talk to somebody, it's not weird. Up to my left, to your right, we're going to have people who would love to pray with you uh, after service. Don't, don't think it's weird. It, it's normal. This is a good thing that we find healing, that we, we figure this out, that we don't wrestle alone, that we wrestle with each other, right? We're better together.